Hey, this is Charlie Sauer, and this is the first episode of Pardon My Parsing. I'm here with Kelly Marsh, and uh, I think we're just going to have some fun uh, talking about politics and really taking apart some political speech and parsing it out so that we can really get to kind of the issues of the day and what some of these politicians are talking about. Uh, Kelly, Charlie, it's good to be here with you. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here, uh, but I have a question for you, though. Yeah. What does parsing mean? I probably, I probably should have asked you that before I agreed to do the show. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, I, I don't know. I think that that's kind of you uh, <laughs> not asking that before you join the show, just saying yes and jumping in. But um, <laughs> parsing is a, is a couple of things. It's one of those things you learn when you're in kindergarten, right? Where you uh, take a sentence and break it out into the subject, verb, and whatever. You can parse a sentence that way. Um what I like doing with, um, or when you parse, you can, uh, if somebody's making an argument, you can take the first part of their argument and talk about that. And then you can take the second part of their argument and beat them on there. I love parsing people's arguments and taking them each of the pieces and showing them how they don't work and how especially they don't work together. Um, people hate that when you do it to them in uh, <laughs> real time, by the way. So it's not like a good social thing to do. But um, in this case, what we're doing is um, we're going to look at political speeches and do what I call a, a reverse outline. So I'm not sitting at the writer's desk. You're not sitting at the writer's desk. Uh, people sitting at home aren't sitting at the writer's desk when a speech is made. But we all understand that a speech is built off of kind of an outline. So when you think back to a, an outline, you usually have kind of the nitty, the nuts and bolts that go into the speech the numbers, the facts, the data, the points that they want to get into. So if you listen to a Biden speech, which we're going to talk about later, you might have a 25, uh, 25 page speech. It might be an hour long. Nobody wants to listen to that. Nobody wants to listen to President Biden or a President Trump or a Bush or a Clinton ramble for that long. But when you take it down to the nuts and bolts, I think it becomes interesting. And so that's what at least we're considering for this podcast parsing that kind of breaking down of a political speech to just its basics you know as a former professor of communication i taught a lot of public speaking classes if i could even get a student to do 25 pages you know how long that would take for them to deliver 14 <laughs> minutes tops maximum and that was with a, a break in the middle to cry because they were so nervous so see how yeah. how fast they could actually talk that would be yeah. uh, an interesting test uh check uh like typing speed versus speaking speed yeah um somebody once told me uh like in powerpoint it's like a minute per slide is your goal so if you have a 10 slide presentation it should take you 10 minutes to get through yep. i think a full page and the old college double spaced with a 15 point font make it bigger. I think that's probably a couple of three minutes worth of uh, content there, uh, potentially depending on uh, how, what kind of speaker. With that. I, my, I had heard that it was three minutes per slide and, but it would be interesting to check what's a better speech one minute versus three minutes. But I have a, uh, I used to, um, have a client that I would go speak at their, uh, quarterly board meetings. And if you go speak at those, you end up speaking with the same people at the same events, quarter after quarter after quarter sure. and i'm in dc i think that um i'm reasonable at public speaking 
And this one lady and I, Juliet Madrigal Durf, she's a doctor down in um, uh, down in Texas. And uh, we got in a speaking competition of who could deliver the best speech at <laughs> this quarterly meeting. And where we ended up taking it was someplace I didn't believe that we would take it. She, at one point, just uploaded her photo album to uh, to her presentation and flipped through random pictures until she found one that was like she liked and would stop and just talk about the things she wanted to talk about without regard to it. I uploaded pictures of my daughters just <laughs> doing random things because they were, you know, two years old, like climbing out of a box or something. And uh, so at the same event, we both came up with these crazy ideas to do speeches. And I'll say they both worked. And it was because we both weren't paying attention to our PowerPoints. Yeah, that's the first rule. Never read what's on the screen. That's the second rule. Don't pay attention to them. Yeah. Uh, I, before we get into politics, I want to get something off my chest, though, because I, I mentioned my daughters. Uh, I've got two of them are in ballet. That means that I'm in the ballet studio. So they've got me doing the Nutcracker with them this year. Oh, sweet. It, 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 it is fun. I will admit I started uh, reluctant, but now I'm now I'm involved. Um, but now I've been around baseball parents, football parents, gymnastics parents. And there's always this one parent there. And it's the like it's the try hard parent. Mm -hmm. It's the one that uh, in the case of the Nutcracker wants to tell me how to correctly bow. Uh, and when I was uh making fun of the way that we bowed or asking a question about it. I stepped forward and did the old uh, Hulk Hogan um, thing. And he was like, Hey, you know, that would work better if you stepped backwards and bowed, that would be more proper in this environment. And I was like, Whoa, buddy, that's not what we, uh, not what we signed up for. But um, I don't know. You have kids. I just, those parents, I, I, I don't know how to back people down, but they need to understand, like, you know, we're not actually performing in this ballet. It's the kids, right? I don't, I don't know. Do you feel like he was parsing your performance? <laughs> he might have been parsing <laughs> my performance a little bit. but That's a, uh, that's it, a different show. It, it is a different show. Uh, parent, parents parsing parents. Maybe that's, yeah. the, maybe that's the way it goes. Well, let's, let's talk about some of the news things that have been hitting recently. And one of the ones that I find interesting, um, maybe it's because I live in it. I'm at, I currently am in Virginia. Uh, you're in Texas. Yep. Um, but we had uh, recent elections here and Glenn Youngkin won the governorship, beat Terry McAuliffe uh, fairly handily. And I, Terry McAuliffe, for those who don't know, is a mainstay of democratic politics. Been around forever. Yeah. He forever huge name recognition used to be and, the DNC chair, right? Yep. DNC and used to chair. be governor. He had everything that could be going for him. And Glenn Youngkin is just kind of a nice guy. Um, didn't have a lot of name recognition and ended up winning. And it was based on the fact that Terry McAuliffe, it was based on a lot of things, but in my mind, when the tide changed is when McCullough said parents shouldn't have a say in what is taught in the schools. Um, are you yeah. seeing that? I don't know. It, parents just took that personally here and it doesn't matter what side of politics you are, are on coming out of COVID. Whew, 
it, the telling parents that we couldn't say anything, that we had no say, uh, was infuriating. Yeah, I'm sure in the Commonwealth and in the D.C. area, that was uh, a huge hot button issue. We got that news. We, you know, we we heard about that here in Texas. I will tell you the election day was not a big deal uh, here in Texas, but we were paying attention to New Jersey and Virginia. And I'll be honest with you, uh, I lived in northern Virginia for almost two years, not quite two years um, earlier this year. And um I got a uh, I got a phone call to do just as we were leaving. I got a phone call to do a poll as a resident and uh, was really surprised at um, the outcome based on what they were asking me in the poll. I think it was a legit poll and it was honest to goodness. I don't remember what the company was, but um, yeah, I think you, you tell parents you don't have a say that goes against, in my opinion, everything that makes you a parent. You know, it's you're you're the one who gets to have that say. Um, until your kid turns 18, mine just turned 19 this week. And, uh, then now she's in charge, except for, I have to help her make, um, her, uh, I have to help her with her medication cause she's sick cause she's at college and everybody's sick and she doesn't know what the medicine is. So, you know, you still get to be dad hopefully, but, um, yeah, I would not take kindly to that personally being told, no, nah, no say we'll teach your kids whatever we think they, they should be taught. Well, and I think that this is important, too, because um, what we're also seeing is President Biden um, talking about the vaccine mandates. And we were just talking before we came on about uh, a personal friend. I don't think it has anything to do with this, but I was sharing a story that uh, on my street uh, alone, uh, I guess two streets, it's kind of my my what would be my covid pod Um there has been some kind of severe mental health issues as we've come out of COVID. And um, I think a part of that is going to have this reaction when people push back on kind of our freedom at this point. I, I think that there's a problem politically with that. And so when you have president Biden talking about possible vaccine mandates, um, people taking stands that they're willing to lose their job to not go with it. Um, I think it's a problem for the left. Um, I think it's interesting for the right because the side to stand on is kind of this personal choice and that's being pushed as anti-vaccine. I think that that's a problem for the right um, because anti-vaccine is seen as anti-science. I, I just see all of these issues coming out. I think it's going to be an interesting uh, midterm election uh, coming up this next year. And then I think it's all going to kind of pile pile into Biden, but I think that there's a big problem on the left and we'll see what they do about it. I mean, they have a year to kind of recover and then uh, President Biden has another couple of years after that, but I'm, I'm interested to see where that one goes. Yeah. Um, in Texas, you know, we, um, got rid of the masks earlier than a lot of places. Um, we've passed some, I believe they're, uh, executive orders, uh, from Governor Abbott with regard to you can't mandate masks and uh, almost nowhere uh, except for healthcare facilities and transportation. I, I don't see masks very rarely now. Um, I'm still experiencing uh, friends and colleagues who are uh, getting COVID for the first time, some of them vaccinated, but it's getting more rare. 
And I think you're right. I think people are done with lockdowns and they're over it. And, you know, I'll tell you, I, I think before I get to my point about the isolation of COVID, I need to take a step back. The entire city of Houston uh, probably still has some PTSD following the uh, 2017 Hurricane Harvey and the resulting floods where, you know, I don't know the exact percentage off the top of my head, uh, but a lot of people got water in their houses, an entire city. That caused, yeah, everybody kind of pulled themselves up and helped their neighbors out, and that was the great part about it. But the whole city had this devastation. And then our baseball team cheated and won the World Series. But um, PTSD is cumulative. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a doctor, but this is what I learned to understand. It's cumulative. And then when you get into what politics was like for the presidential election, then you get into COVID and the isolation. That's I, when I was in Northern Virginia. I didn't know anybody there except for the people I you know kind of worked with and, and one or two other folks. So we didn't have anybody to sort of pod with. You mentioned that. Um, and it just things started to weigh on you. And, um, you know, I had real bouts of like, I couldn't think straight. I could, my memory was getting bad. I don't feel that way anymore. I feel much healthier, but I felt so unhealthy at that time. And I can see that this cumulative effect of people being isolated, people not in their routines, not being able to see loved ones, not being able to go to the hospitals to see their loved ones. Um, it's leading to, Obviously, um, some real dramatic real world things like like you mentioned in your in your neighborhood. Well, I think that that's going to play out in the elections and the the members, the elected officials that try to ignore that um, or pile on to that are going to see the repercussions of it. Uh, So it's going to be interesting to see that play out Uh, while we're playing with those real kind of life-changing issues there's um congress still kind of continues to move on and work on kind of other issues that don't seem to go along with that so this week i actually uh, rolled out a letter and sent it to senator Leahy. but uh, one of the things i do is work with small inventors from around the country so i have uh 13,000 small inventors from around the country that i work with they, you know, invent stuff like the power squid or onion goggles, and some of them uh, create cooler things like lung ablation devices to help uh, solve COPD. So small ideas, big ideas. They're small inventors, though. They they work for themselves. I don't know what but, onion goggles are, but I feel like I probably need them. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's an amazing concept. Onion goggles are one of my favorite invention stories because they are uh, basically kind of like Oakley's with uh, foam in them. So you put them on and now you no longer cry when you cut onions. Uh, I'll I'll take four. That's my Christmas gift this year. Yeah. That guy has sold a million pairs of the things. They kind of took off like the, like a little Snuggie. They were on a couple of sitcoms and people Uh were like, hey, I need to wear that. Sweet. You know, we just started doing the uh, make your meal, you know, meals at home, the meal prep uh, stuff. I'm not going to mention the company, but man, they sent onions in every single meal. <laughs> but my wife chops and I cook. And that's what go. we do. That's you, what we do. As long as you have that division of labor, ah, it, it yeah. works well. So 
I bring this up because Senator Leahy proposed a bill that uh, it's called the Restoring the American Invents Act. The American Invents Act was passed in 2011. It did a lot of things that hurt inventors, but it did two big things. One of them is it changed us from a first to invent system to a first to file system, which means that now instead of doing that, uh, the idea where you can mail yourself the idea to mm-hmm. lock in the date of your idea, now you have to have $20,000 and race to the patent office to secure your idea. So benefited the big guys. But then it also created uh, what this kangaroo court, an administrative court at the U.S. Uh, PTO, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And Senator Leahy really wanted this bill back in 2011, got it passed. Since then, uh, under President Trump, they actually were able to give some more rights to inventors. The director of that was Andre Iancu. He was amazing. Uh, He's still a good friend of mine, did really good things with small inventors. Uh, Senator Leahy uh, wants to change this. And... So because of that, because of the ways he wants to change it, he wants to give the government more power. He wants to allow infringers to take people to both the kangaroo court and federal court at the same time. Uh, everything that he's doing, it helps out patent infringers instead of the inventors, which is really bad. So we put together 110 small inventors from around the country. Uh, they represent something like 40 different industries in the in the letter so it's a really broad swath of inventors uh from all around the country and sent it to him and then the next day he announced retirement so i'm taking credit for senator Leahy's retirement nice i saw that i was going to bring up that he announced his retirement but uh, i didn't realize you were responsible congratulations thank you you got it you got it sometimes in dc you have to take credit for things sure uh no matter what so in this case that's me. Thank you very much. Congratulations. He's uh, been around a long time. Uh, all right. Do you want to talk about this speech? Yep. All right. So the speech that we want to talk about today is uh, President Biden's speech on both the Build Back Better plan and his infrastructure plan. And one of the things that I like on a speech like this is... President Biden, you can tell that they spent a lot of time on the speech. They built it up and he didn't just deliver it once. He delivered it like three, four, five, six times, just like they just like a comedian going out and getting used to their material. Um, They don't just deliver one set one time and then another set the next uh, presidents, candidates, basically anybody in politics kind of has a stock speech and they go from there. So this was President Biden's stock speech on the infrastructure plan and Build Back Better plan. Uh, it is painful, painful to listen to. <laughs> uh, it, I don't just if you took out and used real names instead of the way that uh, Biden uh, kind of gives people all their childhood names or takes an inflection, it would still be painful but the way that Biden talks, and this goes the same for different presidents. We have different levels of communicators as presidents, but um, this was horrible. But it was a 25-page speech. Um, a, the one that I used, he delivered October 20th, but I think you and I both looked at different speeches that yeah. he did, and it was basically the same speech over and over again. Ah, so without that, I've got the, uh, I have my outline. 
And so I just wanted to run down a couple of the facts because I think they're interesting. Um, let's see the Amtrak for a second. So one of the things that he mentioned uh, I found interesting just because you don't see these numbers um, every place, but there's 45,000 bridges in the U.S. that are basically ready to fail. There's 173,000 miles of roads that are in poor condition. And uh, he was delivering the speech in Pennsylvania, which there was 3,300 bridges in Pennsylvania alone and 7,500 miles of roads in Pennsylvania. That's a lot of bridges and roads. It is. <clears throat> I've known about road conditions for quite some time because I own a car and I drive it. Um, yep. And so, yeah, I, I see that, especially if you live in the Northeast where you get um, f freezing uh, conditions and it melts and then it refreezes, that'll break up the road for you. And then if you live in the South where they just don't take care of the roads and the land shifts uh, because your city was built on a swamp, um, you know, and so, yeah, we have bad roads. I'm sure we have bad bridges. I worked in the president's home state of Delaware for several years as a consultant, and uh, we had a serious bridge issue there on 495. Now, that was possibly due to um, negligence by a uh, third party, not the state or the federal government, but um, no way to get where you need to go if you don't have the bridges. So I, I can find some agreement that there are issues. I'm not sure no, I have. I, I'm not sure I have the same point of view that one point whatever trillion dollars or three trillion whatever it is uh, should be how we pay for it. But I don't know. I don't know where the you know. So at different points during the speech, there was different numbers. So I think that um, not in this speech, different points in when they were selling yeah, the yeah. kind of infrastructure and the Build Back Better plan. I think when it first came out, there was 6.5 trillion in the plan. And that was like the Bernie Sanders plan. Mm -hmm. And I think only at that point, only 5% of it was going to the roads, uh, to the roads and bridges, which is, I think what we would consider infrastructure. I personally think that this is one of the biggest misses of the Trump administration. Uh, infrastructure, our roads first off were um, built to last I had 20 years, I believe, was kind of their lifespan, kind of like you put a new roof on your house and it has a lifespan. You put in an air conditioner, it has right. a lifespan. The roads that we had and the roads that we built had a lifespan, and that has been up now for years. And yeah. we've just been trying to manage kind of figuring out which bridges were going to fall down and trying to replace those one by one. So both parties knew that there needed to be an infrastructure plan. Trump should have done this. It would have been an easy win. He wouldn't have had the build back better part yeah. of his plan. Um, maybe the left would have pushed for some of this stuff, but it would have, there would have been less involved and he could have got a big win. And, you know, president Biden as a part of the speech makes fun of president Trump saying that every, every week was infrastructure week under president Trump's presidency. And I'll be honest, I actually never even heard that remark, but I never I never saw it during that time because I was I just thought this needed to be done. Why? Why doesn't President Trump do it? Easy win. Big spending. Republicans uh, kind of like only Nixon can go to China. Only Republicans can spend large amounts of money without being yelled at. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's true. Trump did do 
some things to and threw a lot of money at them. Uh, we look at not not on this level necessarily, but uh, the Trump administration was responsible for getting the Department of Defense and the Veterans Administration together on their health care electronic health record, which was something they've been trying to do for two decades and couldn't do. And uh, Trump did it and people made some serious money off the government for that. But, uh, you know, it's not like he wasn't unwilling to do that. I don't know why transportation and uh infrastructure wasn't higher uh you know you know me the listeners don't i wasn't the biggest uh trump supporter but i would i would also not say that he didn't do anything i mean uh the the tax plan was something that i had been working in kind of the tax base in washington dc for a long time and some of the stuff that he passed and proposed are stuff that we wouldn't have even dreamed of being able to bring up and he was able to get it through, um, which is amazing. Now I think he did a lot of bad things, but I think he should have focused on this. I think it would have been a big win. He could have had like kind of in Kansas city, uh, where we both lived. We had the, the Truman name all over our infrastructure there. It could have easily, uh, easy to train Truman to Trump. Right. The Harry Truman, (laughs) uh, the, Oh, that's Eisenhower. Eisenhower is the interstate system. Uh, he oh, was the one that go. got that. I yeah. apologize. We did have Truman was there. So we had Truman all over. The Truman's place. everywhere. Was the Eisenhower interstate system. Yeah. Yeah. I just remembered that. I, I was right with you until um, my, <laughs> uh, my one active brain cell kicked in. Until the brain cell kicked in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate the, the real time fact check. Yep. Um, all right. I, so there's a few other numbers in the speech and uh w- one of them is, I think, one of the places where I want to debate. But um, one of the other statements that he made in the speech that uh, I pulled out because I thought it was interesting was while he's proposing this one point whatever trillion, this three point five trillion in spending between the two plans, uh, he claimed that he's a capitalist. So the whole speech is about how we aren't doing enough for people, how we need to spend more money. And then he makes the claim, I'm a capitalist. And then he says, the caveat is, but the point is, is that you just need to do your fair share. Trickle down doesn't work. And trickle down didn't build this country. Union workers built this country. Now, this is kind of as Joe Biden of a statement as you can get. Um, Honestly, if he just threw away the first part of the line of I'm a capitalist, I would have just kind of written it off as a Joe Biden line. It might not have even have made my my outline here, but that's ridiculous, right? I, I haven't heard anybody bring up the phrase trickle down in I don't know how long. That that was the thing that caught me. That's just trying to pick a fight amongst those who know what it means. And I think a fair amount of his audience have very little understanding of what that's in reference to. You got to be over 50 to get it, I think. (laughs) Well, man, I guess I'm an old soul. You're an old soul. That's right. Yeah. So I'm an economist. I guess that that sits right in my my wheelhouse. But at the same time, trickle down is like a Saturday Night Live skit that just keeps haunting us. The Republicans never push trickle down. Trickle down isn't the point. Um but I guess you just want to keep bringing it up as a as, as some sort of a trope in this speech. Um, 
So I, it, I wonder about that. I wonder if that's Joe Biden on an ad lib or is that actually in the text of the speech? I have a hard time thinking that his speechwriters put that in there. I don't it know. It would be interesting to get a hold of the speech. This um, definitely is the transcript, um, not the uh, not the, not speech, the written. But I think by if you listen to the speech and we'll leave links in the description and. Um, we'll leave links to a sub stack so you can get the uh, reverse outline as well. But I think it was a part of the speech. I think it's just something that they use to make a point um, to pull off uh, a certain group of people or stop them from arguing against it. Like, oh, mm -hmm. he's a capitalist. I guess that this is OK. Yeah. I don't know what group that sells out of an hour speech. You have a 15 second throwaway line, but um I get mad when they say that basically, uh, well, he says trickle down doesn't build this economy, the union or trickle down didn't build this country. The union built the country. Um, if I just rephrase it so that it makes better sense and say capitalists didn't build this country, the union built this country. I have a real problem with that. Um, I'm like Joe the plumber, I guess. Uh, bring up another old reference. There's another one, yep. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it's discounting kind of the risk that entrepreneurs take by going out on their own, by risking everything and hiring the unions. The A union, union, I respect the union worker. I don't respect the unions. Um I think that, you know, there are people that have been hired to build a road and they build a road, but there's some, uh, there's somebody out there that put his money on the line, put his, put everything on the line to get that road built. And, um, I think we need to give them the respect that's due. Um, we can admire the work in the road and say, wow, this is a good union that built the road. But, um, I don't, I don't, I don't really understand the idea of, why uh president biden or uh who was uh joe the plumber was that um uh that was running for congress wait who no, was that, that? Was it was president. president oh man i can picture him i feel uh just in real time i can't get it myself he's the long face guy that running against uh mccain john Kerry. Kerry. Yeah. yes john Kerry. you we had to shut down our brains to get it um, I stared off into the abyss a long time. I knew yeah. it was an old reference. I couldn't get back to it. Um, why that keeps coming up. I, I just don't understand. And here's why it's a problem for me. If we, it, it comes back to the inventor letter that, uh, I discussed earlier. Um, there's nothing to sell. There's nothing to produce if somebody doesn't invent it. There's no road to build. There's no building to build. If an entrepreneur doesn't decide to build that building. And if we disrespect the entrepreneur, if we disrespect the inventor, um, we're not in a better place as a country. And that's kind of what frustrates me with this line and why it stuck out to me and why... I don't know why I wanted to talk about it on here with you. Do you think a line like that, and I also have heard him say... Wall Street didn't build this country. The middle class did. I've heard him say that uh, as well. I think it was in this speech, but I may have that confused for something more recently on the last few days. But 
are you out to pick a fight and shut down your opponents? Or are you actually looking for support? Because I think that people generally do understand the idea of I have to invest something to get something. The old, I got to spend money to make money, right? You know, um, do yeah. you think that, are we just going for folks that don't know or don't care? Um, or or is there some kind of real motivation for him to, to do that? Because Will, you can talk about this later, but you know, like I said, as a former speech uh, professor, Biden's style is like, nails on a chalkboard but i think that's personal that's a personal thing it's a personality thing i didn't yeah. necessarily always love trump's style either i'm not, not not making a political discussion there i'm making a sort of stylistic uh but we'll i do a trump speech at some point on the yeah. show too because that'll be yeah. uh, its own level of interesting yeah but you know so why use that language why speak in that way why make that point yeah about capitalism and the innovator the entrepreneur. I don't understand. I don't understand the justification for it and why they think that that's going to help them. Well, the way that I fill in that gap is that the the union he is uh, propping up the unions. He is selling the unions. He's trying to give a high five to their boys. Hey, it isn't these people. It's you. Secure and your base. So I guess. Yeah. I see a. I see a reason for it. What I find interesting, and this is maybe it's more on the speechwriter than Joe. Um, it's the idea of, and I guess that this comes back to whether it was put in there by him as an ad lib or whether it was put in by the speechwriter. But um, I just see it as an interesting idea that instead of just saying, you know, the unions built this country, taking it away from somebody else and taking the taking the, all the accolades that should be given to those people in putting them over here is more aggressive than just giving the unions accolades by themselves. You can say, Hey, you built this country. Um, and most of the entrepreneurs that, that I know would say that as well. But when you say they didn't build it, they built it. I feel like that's even something more. I like that point a lot. Also, I don't know if you could hear it, but my dog is very aggressive too, uh, in the background because <laughs> we're all working from home. Cause that's what we do now. Um, <clears throat> but that makes a lot of sense to me. Say the positive. I, I have a, a thing that I often say, you know, tell them what you want them to do, not what you don't want them to do, right? Not the exact same concept, but a similar idea. Give credit and praise to those you're trying to praise. Why do you have to knock yep. somebody down a peg in the same sentence? Uh, I, I know it's politics. I get it, but that feels like weak sauce to me. I think that is that a Kansas City term, weak sauce? Uh, it's at least a term that I'm familiar with. So we okay. can give it to Kansas city. We're, All right, a good, cool. we're a good sauce barbecue. There city. you go. That's right. Uh, there's a, another one in here and I don't know where you're going to be on this. I really just pulled this out to talk about because I thought it was an interesting number, but, um, half, uh, half of three and four year olds are enrolled in early education compared to 90% in Germany, France, the UK and Latvia. Now, let me kind of give it where this is in the speech a little bit. So uh, President Biden had this speech uh, kind of delivered in three parts. One was the like corny thanking everybody in the area and telling some family stories. Uh, and then one was selling his infra and then the second section was selling his infrastructure plan. And the third section was selling kind of the build back better plan, 
which is where you go outside of the roads and bridges. And he's talking about education and childcare and uh, things that we wouldn't normally consider infrastructure. But in this situation, they've decided to call infrastructure. So in this case, he's talking about early childhood education and a need for the government to invest in it heavier. So I, I'll just go through it one more time. Half of three and four year olds are enrolled in early education in the U.S. compared to 90 percent in Germany, France, the U.K. and Latvia. Why do I, I, why do I want my kid in, in enrolled in that? What's well, the motivation? Because kids that are enrolled in early childhood education are better when they get to school because they're you're, it's you're basically just starting school off earlier. So mm -hmm. as you move through school, there's different points like third grade is where you change from learning to read to reading to learn. Um, so if you have early childhood education, you're more likely to be ready for that. Like my kids were in preschool and they knew their alphabet when they got to kindergarten. Um, so there wasn't really time. They didn't need to spend time to learn their alphabet. So they yep. were able to move on to reading earlier. Um, I, so I found it interesting that the number, that the dis number disparity was, kind of so big i mean that's a it's a fairly large difference now those countries are all uh not the size of the u.s um there's reasons for this and one of the things that we haven't been able to do is in the u.s every time we invest in early childhood education it is not actually early childhood education and maybe maybe we can talk about the VA system a little bit in this. Um, what we end up doing is funding kind of a early childhood babysitter program. Yep. Or uh, an early childhood feed your kid program. And there's usually scandals that are around them because they're government contracts. There's people taking care of kids. Um, they're usually not in higher income areas, so they're in lower income areas where there might be not might not be enough time for people to vet some of the people that are in these places. And that comes down to um, funding that comes down to education levels that comes down to kind of how bad our education system when people get into it is. And I guess that I, I was going to compare it to the VA system, because if you look at the VA system. Uh, there wasn't we haven't paid enough attention attention to the system and so it's there it's running but it's not running as well as like the private hospitals are um, they aren't as clean they aren't as up-to-date as you said until recently they didn't have electronic medical records they could even talk to each other so um, I guess um, they still don't I, they're working on it <clears throat> be a few more years I, I, yeah I do see this as a problem but I don't think that the government is the solution but it was an interesting problem. Um, it, you know, it doesn't really affect my daily life. My kids went to early childhood education. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be able to uh, pay for that. I don't know. I think that we've probably done this in our communities before, and we're likely just getting away from that at this point in society. We're relying on government. Yeah, I t completely agree that it may be um, an issue of whether the family could actually afford it. I think that's real. Um, 
I also know that there's a real need for childcare uh, out there. And let's pause because yeah. I am being attacked by two dogs who just broke down my door. Go lay down. <laughs> Go lay down. Both of you. They have serious attachment issues. Okay. So right. I think, you know, um, it's, it's a real issue. I'm not sure where I land on it. I, I do agree with you. I think there is something to be said for there's corruption that could be there. It really is probably daycare, but it's hard to, it's hard to say, well, you don't want my kids to, to learn. Like, you know, you, you had some really good things, Charlie, that you said about what happens if your kid goes to early school, they're, they're better prepared, um, could give kids that otherwise wouldn't have a chance, maybe an extra leg up. I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard because you actually need you need something more than a babysitter in that position. You at that yeah. point need people who have gone to college, learned to learn to teach, yeah, and then are likely willing to take under the pay that they would, or just the demand for teachers is is high, and so there's not like an extra a whole lot of teachers just lying around waiting waiting for jobs. I mean, we don't even have enough substitutes in our district no. right now. Yeah. Um, I think they shut down a school recently because there wasn't enough substitutes. So uh. there's all sorts of problems with this. I understand and I agree with Joe on the problem. And that's the numbers stuck out to me is just something that is an interesting difference. And there's actually a book called um, The Hive Mind. Uh, and the idea of it is that a, a country's uh, IQ is... Uh, reflective of their uh, uh, quality of life. So the the higher your collective IQ is, the better the education is, the better the quality of life in the country. And so this this is an area that seems like maybe this there could be a solution for this. I don't know what the solution is. I think it's hard. I don't think that high-level talking points and rushing through money without debating the specific solution is going to do anything besides just light money on fire though. Yep. I don't have anything to say to that. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little perplexed by it. It's not that I don't have a, you know, I think that there's an issue there as well. And I do agree that I, I, I think I need to know a little bit more about it. I think I need to investigate I think the president needs to know more about it too. Yes, so, so that's can, good. Yeah, we we can all we can have everybody investigate it, and we can come back and talk about it at a later time. Sounds good. All right. So now he's. Ta- I guess I should have said there's four sections to this because then the wrap up and the final section was how am I going to pay for this? Now we there's been major pieces in the news about the way that uh, President Biden has said this costs zero dollars, zero dollars, and he means to the federal government when he says that, but. Uh, it's just crazy because of the way he says it. By the time he delivers the speech on October 20th, he stopped saying that it costs zero dollars. Um, and he is at this point saying, you know, it's going to add no, it's going to add zero dollars to the debt, which is at least a, a semi truthful statement. I don't think that uh, bills actually end up doing that normally. They end up taking away some of the taxes that are put on or they're not able to do the taxes or corporations find ways around some of those taxes. But he finishes by saying um, by attacking corporations that are paying zero dollars in taxes. 
Now, you and I have never talked about this, so I'm going to talk for one second just to give you my background on this issue. Uh, there is an economist, Lawrence Kotlikoff, who is one of the top economists in the country. He's likely going to be a Nobel laureate based on a couple of his um, like life cycle economics ideas. And I'm sure that as long as we keep doing this, I will bring him up on a fairly frequent basis because he's amazing. One of his things, though, is looking at the corporate tax rate and saying that every time that corporate taxes almost 100% fall on labor. In other words, if I raise taxes on um, uh, Ford, Ford is not going to just take those taxes. They are going to either hire less people they are going to have their people work fewer hours. They are going to do things that end up resulting in labor getting hurt by somewhere around that amount of money. So when I hear the left say this, I hear them ignoring the top economists that side with them on a lot of issues. And I just hear them saying, we need to raise taxes on the union members that I just tried to support earlier in this speech. That's fascinating. So it makes a complete sense, too, because the consumer who buy that widget, car, whatever, will notice that the price is going up, and that will be negatively reflected on their sales. So if you go and you bring the pain to the only thing you truly can control, which is the quality of your product or the people, the amount of people who are working on it, I think that's very, I think that is Nobel laureate worthy. <laughs> I I just this is the I don't when a politician and that's why one of the reasons I like stripping these speeches back because when you have these throwaway lines um, there when a speech is so long you stop listening and you stop paying attention and you just kind of hear these one off lines but when you pull it down to its basics and you hear him talk about the unions and promote the unions, and then you hear kind of the policies and how they hurt those same people. Um, we didn't even get into um, kind of how these policies increase inflation and therefore hurt the same people that he's uh, purporting to help throughout the speech. And it's just amazing when you break it down how hypocritical even a simple speech like this is that we know they spent lots of time. I mean, this is going to be a corner, a cornerstone of his, of his presidency. It's going to be one of his first major accomplishments. If he can pass it. Um, I mean, they've passed the infrastructure portion of it, um, but the build back better plan is likely still not going to happen. So um, it's just amazing. They didn't put the work into that and at least not sounding hypocritical. It's very easy to say something else in, in a speech of just, increasing taxes on people that deserve it but it's just lazy politics and it amazes me that the left pushes this corporate tax rate consistently and i you mentioned it was a long speech it was about an hour and 20 25 minutes when you got through everything all of the uh introductions and all of the stories and uh and the actual presentation i, I tried to watch the whole thing and i literally could not get through it and you know, it was partially just his style. I'm sorry. It's just, it's a stylistic thing. He's been 
Uncle Joe for a long time. Um, but I think you could have gotten, I think you could have gotten to the point. And I like your, I like what you had to say about, let's not contradict ourselves in the, in the text so many times. Yeah. There's, there's a lot going on there that uh, I think could be improved. And I don't know who that speech was for. I guess that's a, I guess that's a kind of speech that's for the wonk and for the news to parse out. Oh, look what I did there. I used our word. Um, and, uh, and then I guess it sets the record, right? It sets him selling this. So it's for the, for the congressional staffers. Oh, well, it's, <laughs> it is, it is depressing every time you go through these speeches this way. Um, but I find it interesting and a good way to, um, listen to them. And, uh, we will get into kind of some public speaking ideas with you, I think next time. And, I think that'll uh, be something that we continue talking about. But uh, you didn't even bring you. up Amtrak, by the way. Oh, we didn't even. Talk you didn't about bring up Amtrak. the Amtrak story, which is literally the best part of the whole, <laughs> the whole speech. I skipped Amtrak. <laughs> oh my goodness! I saw. I've seen this Amtrak. Yeah, I I've go back to yeah, it. Yeah, I think so. We'll call this. This is the bonus episode of uh, Pardon My Parsing, episode one. Uh, Joe Biden claims that he had a conversation that never happened, couldn't have possibly happened (laughs) in a speech multiple times. And really, nobody's talking about it. All right. So uh, Joe Biden uh, in this speech that we're going over um, claims that he um, had a had a conversation with an Amtrak conductor. And the Amtrak conductor patted, like, grabbed his cheek and pinched it. And um, he has all sorts of details about this speech. But the end idea of the speech is that the conductor told Joe Biden that he had traveled over 1 million miles on Amtrak. So he had traveled 1.2 million miles on Amtrak, which was more than he had flown in Air Force One as vice president. This conversation never happened. Um, the math is possibly correct, but um, you looked into this a little bit more, yeah. right? Kelly? He, he gives different numbers uh, depending upon when he gives the speech. I think we even got as high as 2 million in one version. Uh, so I don't know what the number is. And you know, the other thing is, I, I don't know how that conductor would ever even know that. Or um, I, I've ridden Amtrak. I'm part of their, uh, you know, whatever it is called, the mileage club. Um, I don't have any any idea of how many miles I have. So it's not like, I guess, Joe buys a ticket and somebody keeps it on a computer. I suppose that could be there. But I don't know about Angie, the conductor, uh, telling him he's done 2 million miles. Uh, so so yeah. the way he tells the story, Angie comes up to him, grabs his cheek and says, hey, at my retirement dinner, um, we we talked about this idea that you had flown over a million miles on Air Force One, and uh, we we sat down and did the numbers on Amtrak and figuring out that you went back and forth between Delaware for thirty some odd years as senator and um, and as vice president, 
uh, you've done 1.2 million miles. So they just did the story that he told is they did generic math and to get there. Okay. So if we seed it, I'll, I'll, I will hand him the numbers. I'm not worried about the math. But what's crazy is there was a conductor that had the name that he was talking about. And that conductor retired in 2009. Um, and that conductor actually died in 2014. And the story about Biden's Air Force One miles didn't come out until 2015. So not only could they have not had the conversation in 2009, they couldn't have done that math. They couldn't have done it in 2015 because the conductor had passed away. So well, he, even it, if the math works out, it's a complete lie of a story. In 2009, he had been vice president for a year. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. So he wouldn't have the, there wouldn't be a story because he didn't have the miles on Air Force One. Nope. Anyway, so the guy was, he had passed away. I, yeah, it's, it's a great bit of Joe folklore that, uh, <laughs> okay, should I just bring it? The first thing I ever remember about Joe Biden was when I was, I believe, in high school and he ran for president and he had to withdraw from the, the presidential race for his accusation of, of plagiarism. Now, I know that's gotten attention and I know that's got some research, but that's the first thing I ever knew about who Joe Biden was. And he's just Uncle Joe. He's just, I, I'm not talking politics, people. I'm just talking styles right now. And it's, uh, it's just, a th I, I don't have the words for it right now, which is probably a good thing. It is honestly amazing to me, though. I, I, and it's amazing that it didn't just dominate the airwaves yeah. for weeks. Because, I mean, this is, this is the president just completely making up. A, and I, if he would have just done it once, it might have been okay with me, too. Like, look, it, the, he, is, he was senator for a whole bunch of years. He rode that train for a bunch of years. He was vice president. That guy has met more people in his life and had more conversations than most of us can imagine. He also has a staff of people writing speeches for him. He has multiple people listening to him deliver these speeches. The fact that they didn't like stop this after the first time and they were like, this speech never happened. <laughs> right. Um, do you think he doesn't have anybody to do that? You think there's nobody to do it or you think he doesn't care or I mean, that's just supposition, I guess. There's no way to know, I guess, unless you're part yeah, of the I inner mean, circle. If, what's hard to believe to me is if we were talking, if it's, if this was president Trump, you could have seen that staff might've been scared to approach him and tell him that this didn't exist. Right. Uh, that's not the feeling that you get with president Biden. But maybe that is President Biden behind the scenes, because that's my that's only explanation is that um, people are scared to approach him and to tell him that this didn't happen. As, um, mu as much as I want to call him Uncle Joe, which is de definitely intended to be sort of derogatory, there's no way you become president of the United States unless you've got the facility and the capability to put people in line and do things the way you want it done. It's like being CEO of huge corporations. It's a certain personality. So maybe he is and behind the scenes. 
You don't tell him that. You just let him do what he wants to do. Well, I mean, we've we've seen his temper. Even the one that you were talking about, his temper broke several times. Yeah, and his his temper has continually been broken in in public. Um, it's few and far between, so people write it off. Um, like it's a different energy level when he goes there. Um, so it, it becomes a story for a day or two, but ends up going away because he's right back to kind of crazy Uncle Joe instead of mean Uncle Joe. But um, it's definitely in his personality, and it's in the personality of all presidents. Uh, I agree with you at different points. Yeah. Well, I'm glad all we right. got the Amtrak story in. We got the Amtrak story in. I'm sorry that I missed it as we were going through it, but because it is, it's one of those. Uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of glad that we talked about the speech without it and came back to it because um, I think talking about the speech without starting off with kind of a crazy lie is a good way to go after it. And then. Yeah coming back to that i mean it just kind of blows the whole speech out of the water <laughs> uh he never disappoints all right well we will put links in the description to um the speech we will put links in the description to our the parsing of the speech to our Substack, and we will um be back again for another episode very soon. Thank you for listening to episode one of the Pardon My Parsing podcast. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you, Charlie.